It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, July 11th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. In April, California passed a policy meant to accelerate the transition to electric semi-trucks. The California report covers their practicality hands-on with the help of an EV semi-driver in San Bernardino County. Then, after a look at local news and weather, KVMR's Paul Emery and hydrogeologist Steve Baker bring us the latest water news, and this time, what they report is crystal clear. We close with a commentary from Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We hear a lot about the potential of artificial intelligence nowadays. Now, CAL FIRE, the state's firefighting agency, and the University of San Diego are partnering to spot wildfire ignitions using AI. How would that work? Here's KQED science reporter Danielle Benton to explain. The Alert California system has thousands of cameras watching for telltale plumes of smoke. Cal Fire has invested more than $20 million in the program over the last four years and has promised millions more for a trial using AI. Neil Driscoll is a professor of geology at UC San Diego and the project's director. He says a big advantage of this approach is reducing workload and distractions for those who monitor for fires. You're going to be fatigued if you have to look at all of these cameras. The AI then says, There's something that's changed. Take a look. Driscoll says the technology has been trained to distinguish smoke from fog or dust devils and can help predict fire behavior. He says the system can also track the dryness of an area's plant to support decisions about managed fire. Those are fires that aren't immediately put out because they're not a threat to people and are doing some ecological good. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton. Governor Gavin Newsom signed a package of bills on Monday that's intended to streamline green energy and infrastructure projects in the state through permitting reform. The bills, which were passed by the legislature last week, include measures to speed up the process of approving permits for major projects and prevent projects that have already passed an environmental review from getting tied up in the courts. Rebecca Bauer-Cahan, who chairs the Assembly's Water, Parks, and Wildlife Committee, says new water storage programs are one area of critical need. It's possible to build big things and protect our precious environment. We know that we must build our clean energy future so that my children, your children, and others have an inhabitable planet. The future requires a massive shift and growth in what water infrastructure looks like here in California. Streamlining the permitting process is also expected to help solar and wind storage projects, as well as semiconductor plants, get built faster. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes, More at Guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. 
In April, California passed a policy to accelerate the transition to electric big rig trucks. What are the vehicles like? Well, LAS reporter Aaron Stone took a ride in an electric semi-truck with a driver in San Bernardino County. So we always do the drive first. Edwin Buenrostro moves at a fast pace, expertly using metal hooks to move an eight-foot stack of heavy boxes. To keep the food fresh, the truck needs to stay running at every stop along Buenrostro's 14-hour shift. He does 11 to 16 stops per day to Starbucks locations in San Bernardino County. I record him unloading by the lift gate at the back of the truck, where the tailpipe would be. But instead of the smell of diesel exhaust and the sound of a rumbling engine... The truck's idling right now, right? Okay, I don't hear anything and I don't smell anything. When Rostro is one of the first drivers behind the wheel of an electric Volvo big rig bought by the company he works for, Quality Custom Distribution, or QCD. It's a division of one of the largest restaurant distribution companies in the U.S. It was a lot different from the diesel trucks he was used to. My first thought was how quiet they are. I was surprised because I'm so used to the vibration of the sound, the noise, the exhaust, like the fumes the heat coming out of the bottom of the cab. When Rostro says one of his co-workers suffered severe headaches from fumes getting inside the cab. So that's toxic for us. You know, we're in this truck 14 hours a day. When Rostro says he feels better driving electric because he's helping air quality in the local community, which he's noticed is getting worse. I mean, right now you can already see it. it's a little brown. You can see it. And from the top of the hill, it's a layer. Medium and heavy-duty trucks spew about 9% of the state's total greenhouse gas emissions and nearly half the pollutants that cause smog. That's why the state mandate passed in April requires fleets of 50 or more trucks to be electric or hydrogen-powered by 2042. Port trucks, government fleets, and local delivery companies like QCD are required to transition sooner, by 2035. But the costs and deadlines concern many companies. QCD already has six electric trucks and another 39 on the way. Shane Blanchett, a vice president with the company, says they expect to meet the deadline with time to spare. We think this is actually a competitive advantage as we continue to transition. Almost all of QCD's daily routes in Southern California are within 120 miles, a range current technology can handle on a single charge. It made sense for our business. But the trucks themselves cost about three times as much as a traditional diesel truck. It's a lot of capital right now because the, the scale's just not there. The company was able to buy them at a similar cost to diesel through grants from Southern California Edison and other partners. But long term, Blanchett says the company expects savings on fuel and maintenance costs, as well as their electric bill, once they complete a solar-powered microgrid charging station at their La Puente location. That microgrid will also relieve stress on the power grid we all rely on. In his truck, when Rostro dials up the radio. That's a benefit now with these trucks, you know, like it's eco-friendly, you know, like like it's new, people are scared of it, like, but it's the future. For the California Report, I'm Aaron Stone in San Bernardino County.
And finally, for years, the retired space shuttle Endeavour has been on display in its horizontal landing position at the California Science Center in Los Angeles. But this month, work begins on a $400 million project to display the spacecraft vertically, or how it looked when it was ready for launch. Stacking the 20-story tall components of a space shuttle has never happened outside of a NASA facility, and according to the Science Center, will take about six months to complete. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, July 11th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks so much for listening, and let's talk tomorrow. In regional news, Ubinet reports that as of Friday, July 28th, wood and charcoal fires will be prohibited in foothill campgrounds owned and operated by the Nevada Irrigation District, or NID. This includes recreation facilities around Scott's Flat and Rollins Reservoirs. Monica Rays, NID Director of Recreation, said the following, This restriction is being enacted to help prevent human-caused wildfires and protect public safety. It's getting dry and wildfire risk is escalating. Our goal is to keep everyone safe. Under the restrictions, no wood or charcoal fires will be allowed in the campgrounds, but propane fire rings and barbecues are allowed on low or medium flame. The fire restrictions will be in effect at Scott's Flat Campground, Orchard Springs Campground, Long Ravine Campground, Peninsula Campground, and Greenhorn Campground. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 61. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 89. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 61. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, Tonight, clear with a low around 44. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 78. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 44. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, clear with a low around 60. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 95. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 61. The National Weather Service is also reporting elevated fire weather conditions for the valley and foothills over the weekend and throughout next week. An upper-level ridge over the desert will continue to build westward throughout the middle portions of the week ahead, which will lead to temperatures warming to slightly above normal values today through Thursday. An official excessive heat watch warning has been announced for Friday to late Sunday, meaning that hot conditions could pose a high risk of heat stress or illness to people or animals. And, of course, with warming temperatures, mountain snowmelt will continue to occur across the region. This means that area waterways are still running fast and cold, so be sure to practice cold water safety if you choose to engage in water recreation activities. Heat risk values will remain generally minor today and Wednesday, with pockets of moderate cropping up on Thursday within the valley, while widespread major heat risk is forecast across the weekend ahead, along with those previously mentioned elevated fire weather concerns. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Water clarity depends on a number of factors and potential negative contributors, like wildfire smoke, temperatures that change with our climate, and the balance, or lack thereof, of natural algae. Coming up, KVMR's Paul Emery and hydrogeologist Steve Baker discuss what we currently know about the 2023 measurement of Lake Tahoe's clarity 
and about the implications of those results. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, uh, you have some good news about um, Lake Tahoe. Um, Tell us about it. Oh, you bet. Uh, The water clarity of the lake has significantly improved. Uh, Certainly in 22, they expect improvements to be uh, much, much better even this year, 2023. What that means is the water is so clear this year that we can see deeper into the lake than in the past many years. Now, the way they measure that is using a secchi disc. And this is a disc that's about 8 to 10 inches in diameter. It's got both black and white uh, quadrants on it, and they lower that disc down into the um, into the water until they can't see it anymore. And then they note what that depth is, and they refer to that as the measure of the transparency of the water. Now, now this measurement started in 1968 in Lake Tahoe, and the average measurements at that time were more than 100 feet. You could see 100 feet down. Now, in the 70s, uh, those measurements, uh, you could see 85 to 99 feet down. It kind of it, it, it changed based on the, the season and the time. In the 1990s, that clarity dropped to 72 to, uh, feet on the average. And then um, the clarity sort of plateaued for a while from the 2000, 2022. It was around 69 and a half feet. So it's been getting worse. And then in 2022, the measurements started to... Uh, improve again to about 81 feet. So they're expecting a lot of improvements. Even uh, this year, it could go back to what it used to be in the 1970s. And that would be wonderful if that happens. Well, what conditions actually cause the clarity of the water to become so murky? You know, there are a lot of reasons. The Tahoe Basin's gone through a lot of development. And with that development is erosion, and erosion uh, finds its uh, way into the lake. So we're talking about the very fine-grained suspended sediment in the lake uh, that it's recharging, and it's reducing that water water clarity. Now, there's also a micro and macronutrients uh, that are carried along with that water, and uh, and that causes uh, the algae to grow and other microbes to flourish again, and that reduces clarity as well. Wildfire smoke, you don't think about it, but the smoke contributes nutrients to the lake, which, again, feeds the algae and other things, and and that uh, makes the water more murky. Even changes in the way the lake mixes its own waters has an impact on clarity. So as the temperatures change with climate change and other seasonal things, you will find those uh, that mixing to change, and that could also contribute in, in some way. But then again, you can be sure that the building regulations, the watershed restoration projects, those kinds of things uh, are really making, are, are improving things. But, but there are a lot more variables and even those, those items uh, uh, take into account. So the big question is, what causes the, you know, what caused this improvement in the clarity that they're seeing right now? Well, that is exactly the question that uh, I have for you. <laughs> You've explained to us what causes it to not be very good and to decline. So what has caused it to improve? I mean, nobody really knows positively. However, there is a new hypothesis out there, new idea. And that is that the most recent improvements are probably being are contributed to by the decline in, believe it or not, an in invasive species. It's called the mysis shrimp. 
that exists out there, a very small shrimp. And guess what? This shrimp, it eats microscopic zooplankton that's called daphnia. And this zooplankton consumes the tiny algae and silt-sized particles that makes Lake Tahoe's water murky. Now, interestingly, this shrimp is actually native to the Great Lakes back east. And um, it was sto- it was brought over here, and they stocked Lake Tahoe with this shrimp back in the 60s so they could uh, really use it as a bait or food for the lake trout, which they were also bringing up here. So that's how it arrived at Lake Tahoe. Now, the scientists are going back and forth on this idea about the shrimp uh, participating in the improvements or the clarity of the water. But there there appears to be a correlation right now between the two, but causation is a different thing. They're, they're just not sure. So there's a, a lot of uh, discussion over that by the scientists. But Paul, you know what? The food web, it's an important part of all of our waterways. That's for sure. Well, that's really interesting information, Steve, I got to say. Um, now, but let's take Lake Tahoe's experience and apply it to our own local rivers like the Yuba and Deer Creek. Can we improve the water quality in these waterways? Oh, absolutely. You know, when you're enjoying these waterways, when you go down to Yuba River and jump in, maybe you have your pet with you. Uh, remember, make sure that you pick up all the the business that these doggies leave out there by the river. Clean it up and take it out with you. Um when people, when you pee, <laughs> make sure you're at least 200 feet away. We don't want to add these things to our our surface water. Uh, reduce erosion on your properties. Just make note in the wintertime where that water is flowing and then uh, cause that water flow to stagnate on your property. All the solids fall out and cleaner water leaves your property. And of course, at the river and really everywhere else, don't litter. <laughs> what you pack in, you pack out. So we have uh, heard all these things before, of course, and it's all actually relatively simple. It's all good habits, too, right? So we will enjoy our outdoor recreation a lot more in a clean environment. And the water quality, it's really good for the watershed. So let's do it. Steve, thank you so much. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with our water guy at KVMR, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. It's Mark Cunaberti's opinion that while employment rates across the United States might be improving, the economy may actually be worsening. Up next, in his commentary, Money Matters, Mark explains how interest rate increases may contribute to issues like inflation and how he feels pandemic-era government funding might be creating new problems for the economy. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Last week, the markets got rocked hard down again when a strong employment jobs number hit the news wires. More people were hired than expected and unemployment dropped. So why did the market drop? Because the thinking is that the Federal Reserve will continue to embark on their crusade of interest rate increases, which is usually bad news for the markets. The Feds think the increased hiring and drop of unemployment signal a 
healthier economy, which means more inflation and increase in job hiring, can put upward pressure on wages, which adds to inflation. This is known as wage push inflation. As usual, the Feds have it wrong again. Unfortunately for all of us, the track record of the Fed is not very good. Just look at the chart of their interest rate manipulations, their main tool for steering the economy. It's all over the map with radical up and down movements. Interest rate manipulations are supposed to be used sparingly and gently or will cause shocks to the economy. They're not supposed to be forcibly jerked around all over and quick movements. That shows a degree of panic and indicates that they may have little clue to just how powerful their interest rate moves are. The Fed tool of manipulating rates are used to prevent crashes and inflation. Need I say more as to the Fed's effectiveness? Why the Fed is so often wrong is that the economic data they look at to steer the economy is backwards looking as most all data is. Economic data is reporting things that have already happened like driving by looking in the rear view mirror. It will give you a great analysis as to where you've been, but one shouldn't try to use it to steer by. Another issue with Fed analysis is, oddly, they fail to realize their tools may take months to cause their effect. Interest rate moves take time to work. Many analysts estimate 12 to 18 months, although data is published almost daily in some form or another. The Fed should wait longer before applying more rate changes. There are many analysts that argue this very point. Point. Based on historical movements, the Fed has moved very quickly when applying the brakes or gas to the economy. The latest round of interest rate increases are the fastest on record. Why are they so impatient? Fast forward to our market route last week and the positive employment data. You would think improvement in hiring would be good news for the stock markets, and it usually is. However, nowadays it seems the market hates good economic news as it can mean the Fed will act by raising rates. The Fed apparently thinks good employment data means a good economy, and that's bad for inflation. And they usually would be right, but not this time. What the Fed has missed, in my opinion, is the basic reason why employment has improved and thinking it's because the economy is getting better. It's the exact opposite. The economy is getting worse, and their previous interest rate increases are working. Doing more will likely increase the odds of something bad happening, like more inflation or more unemployment. The Fed is failing to see this time is different. People had been spending COVID savings from lavish handouts from the government. Too lavish, in my opinion, which is why people could sit at home longer than usual and not work. Now the money is running out. We know that because the record savings we saw after the shutdown handouts are dropping like a stone. Defaults and credit card use are rising. Simply put, the increase in inflation has accelerated the evaporation of COVID savings. Additionally, the pullback in economic activity is hurting companies, and that is hurting workers. Now people are flocking back to work because they're out of money, caused by both an evaporation of savings and inflation that is accelerating that decline. Finally, as more people are desperate for work, employers will have more power to reduce wages or at least not increase them. Thus, the wage inflation the Fed's fear will not materialize, concluding the employment numbers are getting better, not because the economy is, it's the exact opposite. The economy is getting worse and people are having to go back to work in droves. That the Fed's move to raise rates even higher as the economy continues to contract will be exactly the wrong thing to do. As usual, the Feds are on course to break something, like they so often have done in the past, by failing to see what is really happening in the economy and what they break 
will likely be you and I and most all people just like us. Hold on to your hats. Expect another rate increase soon. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's it for today's Money Matters. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. And remember, this newscast expresses the opinion of myself and is not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell anything, nor represents the opinion of any bank or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet its staff members or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors 1979 and California insurance license OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Luneberg. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, July 11th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you, and from Malpaint and Glass, supplying Nevada County with paints, stains, and supplies since 1949. Offering custom color matching and a full-service glass shop for residential and commercial projects, malpaintandglass.com. And Weiss Landscaping with over 75 years of generational experience in landscape, architecture design, and installation. Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go Weisslandscaping.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Gem. Have a great night.